begin today by turning to Matthew, Matthew 28 and verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, that is to the apostles. He said, all authority, or the, I like the King James Version better here, all power, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So my question today is, who can be trusted with power? Who can be trusted with power? You know, when the founding fathers were discussing the Constitution, they had some rather differing viewpoints on how the Congress should be set up, and Benjamin or uh, Thomas Jefferson absolutely insisted on a bicameral house. And as he was sitting and drinking with his associate and discussing it, he noticed that he took his tea and he poured it in his saucer. He blew on his saucer and then he drank the tea out of his saucer. And uh, Jefferson said to him, well, now why did you pour the tea in that saucer? And his friend said, whichever one of the other leading luminaries of the Constitution said, well, to cool it off. And Jefferson said, that's exactly why we have to have a bicameral house. Because it's just as bad to have a hundred tyrants as it is to have one. So that's why we have the system we do today. It acts as a system that checks and balances so uh, not everyone gets carried away. Things are slowed down so they can be thought out. So the fact is, human beings try to make checks and balances to try to, 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 make, to even the playing field, but the fact is, who can really be trusted with power? Well, I can tell you this. Here's what Job said. Let's go back to the book of Job here and notice the statement here in Job chapter 4 and verse number 18. Job said, He puts no trust in his servants. He charges his angels with error. That's right. So when God, whether God looks at men or angels, he knows that they have limitations and they cannot be trusted with the kind of power that God has. Christ has all power. And then in Job 15, verse number 15, we read, If God puts no trust in his saints, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy? Yet the fact is, by virtue of being born in this earth, and having the types of relationships we have and the kind of jobs we possess and the kind of responsibilities we have in this life, there's a modicum of power that we all possess. Maybe different in different persons and it may be uh, limited in certain ways, but it, they're, they're all, they're, we all have a modicum of power. But the kind of power I'm talking about is who can be trusted with the kind of power that God has? Well, I just read that he, he, did, he does not put any trust, any, any confidence in his angels. Here's a good example why. Notice Ezekiel 28, verse number 15. Ezekiel 28, verse number 15. Here's what he said to Lucifer. The, son, the king of Tyre here is the 
the real antitype of this particular chapter here. And he says here in verse 15, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So here was this uh, very, very high-ranking, powerful being that could not be trusted. And then we know the story. He was removed and has uh, a certain office that he still carries out in the world today. And here's a sample of it in Ephesians 6 and verse number 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. See, the world is fighting constantly over issues of flesh and blood. But the real struggle and the real battle we read here is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So this is the kind of power that Satan still maintains. And as we read here, he had the capability to bequeath this power on Christ if he would have yielded to him. And this is what he said in Luke 4, verse number 6. All power, all this power I will give you. This uh, New King, King James Version has authority, but I think the word power is, is better. I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Who can be trusted with power? And yet notice what we read here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 43. What's going to happen for those who qualify for God's kingdom? Here's what it says. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Man will be in a different state then. He's not going to have the limitations of the flesh. Nor will he have the pulls and all the evils of human nature that generate so many problems in the question of maintaining and properly hand handling power. Now, it's axiomatic. I don't have to dwell very long on this. I'll just hit a couple of texts illustrated. But we all know that God has absolutely total unlimited power. Notice it in Psalm 147 here and verse number 5. Psalm 147 and verse 5. Great is our God and mighty in power. Now, I don't know if we really, if we really grasp the fullness of the meaning of that. We can only evaluate it on the basis of our experiences here as human beings. And most of us have never seen, we have never seen the kind of power that was manifested by God in times past. We're going to, well, if we're here alive, we'll see it in the future. But he is mighty in power. He's absolutely unlimited. But there's one thing about God. This is what the big difference is. God is perfect, and he knows how to maintain and manage that power properly. And it's always for man's best interest and man's good. Most of the time, when we uh, exercise power, I'd say most of the time, but a good percentage of the time, it's usually based on what we want, what we'd like to do, or what we'd like to see. Jeremiah 10, verse 12. He has made the earth by his power. Now, if you go to certain mountain ranges in this country, 
and you look at those mountain ranges, it'll just almost stagger your imagination. I've seen mountain ranges where the mountains are four or 5,000 feet straight up and just come like a sheer rock wall down to the earth. That's what God did. And it just, uh, it's, it's almost overwhelming when you realize that. Now, there's another way that he's manifested his power. We haven't seen that any in the last several thousand years. But here's how it was done, as we read in Exodus, the ninth chapter. You know, the, what was the superpower of the days when the Israelites were in slavery? The superpower of the world was Egypt. What do we read here? Exodus 9, verse 16. Indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you. And that my name may be declared in all the earth. So someday, when those people are resurrected, and that will happen in the second resurrection, they're going to be able to put together what happened and what this God did, and the human experiences that they went through are going to be utilized for building character in the future. That's why God allows us to go through these things. So God is a God of all power. Now the next thing we need to realize is that I don't care what kind of power we're dealing with here on this physical earth or even in the heavens. All power comes from God. I don't care what kind of power we're talking about, it comes from Him. Now you might think, well, if Satan is the God of this world and He gives it to whomever He chooses, who gave Satan that right? Ultimately, it's in the hands of God. Notice what we read here in Job, the first chapter. Here's a very typical example of it. Most of you are familiar with this text. Job 1, verse number 12. The Lord said to Satan, because you remember what he said, you know, here's this fellow you, you, you were putting such stock in called Job, and uh, you go out and you... Uh, you, you, you meet some kind of punishment on him, you see what he'll do. And the Lord said to him, said to Satan in Job 1 verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay hand on his person. God granted power to Satan, but that power was limited. And it's limited today, too. Second Peter 2.11 Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Whereas angels. He's talking about these people here who, uh, who are fearless in the use of their tongues and in most cases don't even have an understanding of what's involved and what they're talking about. They walk according to the flesh and they despise authority. They're presumptuous. They're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dign dignitaries. Whereas angels. Now here's the text I want to get to. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might. It tells us in the book of Hebrews, we're made a little lower than the angels. You know, a lot of those angels fell. And they're demons. They have more power than we do. What did Christ tell Peter? He said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat but I have prayed that your faith does not fail and when you're converted strengthen the brethren so you see don't ever undersell the idea 
that there's anything special about human beings because when you look at human beings on this earth, it makes no difference who they are and what their accomplishments are. They don't amount to a thing in the sight of God. Now, here's an example of how God manifests power. We haven't seen anything like this, and we've never seen anything like this. We simply have the biblical record to show what took place here, but this is an example of it. Here's in Job, the 16th chapter, in verse number 5. Remember, I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm telling you under this particular topic set up subheading here that that power is, comes from God. He's the one that grants it. So Job 17, uh, Job 16, verse number 5. The lords of the Philistines came to her and they said, Entice him. It's Samson. Entice him. Find out where his great strength lies. Now, where did Samson get that strength? He was given that strength at birth because God preordained him to be a Nazarite. And he was instructed never to cut his hair, never to drink anything wine or from the grapes. And his strength was absolutely prodigious. So who gave it? Now, we know the rest of the story. When he broke that vow, when he broke that Nazaritic requirement that was placed upon him, he lost his strength. It was gone. Here's what David said. 2 Samuel 22 and verse number 33. David said, God is my strength and power. Can you imagine what was in the mind of this young man? We do not know how old he was when he went out in the forefront of those two armies and fought with Goliath. He's called but a youth. Maybe he was simply a teenager. But God put it in his heart and mind to do what he did, and he had all confidence and power to do it. And when he hurled that stone, I mean, it was so accurate because this man was covered with armor from head to foot. That stone was so accurate, it said it actually sunk into his forehead. Yeah, that's right. God is my strength and my power. That's where it comes from. So God grants powers, individually grants powers to kings. Notice Daniel, the second chapter here. Daniel chapter 2. And uh, verse number 37. Daniel 2, verse 37. O king, you are a king of kings. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't just a local king, he was a king. He actually ruled a whole known world at that time. There are many, many kings, sub-kings that were under him. You are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. It came from God. That's where it came from. Now you remember when Christ stood before Pilate. Pilate didn't understand this, but Jesus told him this. And if you, if you read the whole story there very carefully, Pilate knew what those Jews were up to. He did not want to crucify Christ. He tried to get out of it. But they wouldn't let him. And for whatever reason, he didn't have, well, we know what the reason was. The reason was that God had determined that 
the son was going to be sacrificed as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind, so God went ahead and permitted it. But here's what uh, Pilate said to him. John 19, verse number 10. Are you not speaking to me? Because Jesus didn't answer him. Do you not know I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. You know, stop and think about that for a moment when you think of the powers that exist. When you think of the governments of this world. I know uh, I was doing a lot of restudy one time on people who uh, disagree with the, um, the authority of the government. And one of their primary arguments is that uh, the government... Is, uh, has usurped the authority and the power belongs to the people. Maybe so. But who has the power today? The people? The people are so absolutely um, split and, uh, and scattered that there's, there's no real one power that the people could really do what is right, even if they wanted to. So the fact is, power is who possesses it. And keep that in mind when you look at this text here in Romans, the 13th chapter, because this is exactly what it says. Romans 13 and verse number 1. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Now, the, uh, the New King James Version, I think, has this really accurate. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, we may not like what governing authorities do, but stop and consider what it would be like if this we lived in a state of anarchy, which is obvious, obviously what had taken place before the flood. You know, we talk about days of the Old West, you know, and uh, uh, Samuel Colt made all men equal. Well, he really didn't make them all equal either. But I can tell you this, the ones who knew how to hand firearms had a decided advantage. That's how they settled disputes in those days. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, none whatsoever, except from God. All right, now, if uh, the Constitution has been usurped, as, as, as some will say, did God allow it? Who's ultimately the one responsible? God is. That's why it says here, there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. They may be crooked. They may be evil. They may be usurpers. But God is the one who's placed them there. He's ultimately the one responsible. Deuteronomy 8. Verse number 18. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Look at the prosperity that we have enjoyed in this nation. Now, most of us, because we live in a society where about nine-tenths I'm just throwing a round figure up because I can't give you the exact statistic, but just, let's say approximately 
Nine-tenths of the world's of the United States' wealth is owned by about one-tenth of the population, or less, one percent, maybe 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 five percent, whatever, somewhere in that range. All that means is that the vast majority of Americans, by the standard of what these rich men possess, are paupers. The average American is about two weeks from losing everything. And I was reading the other day, I think uh, the average household in the United States, I forget the figure they owe in, in the credit cards, but I think it said the average family has 30 credit cards. What they do is they just shift around here and shift around there and switch back and forth and back and forth and juggle the credit cards and try to stay afloat that way. Bad way to operate. God is the one that gives us the power to get wealth. So even that comes from him. Second Chronicles 25, verse number 8. Second Chronicles 25, verse number 8. Here these people are going into battle. Who determines the outcomes of outcome, outcome of battles? If you go, be gone, be strong in battle, even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. You know, you stop and think, consider, for example, Alexander the Great. There are many, many leading generals in this world today who believe that he was the greatest commander that ever lived. Commanded an army of Macedonians when he was 18 years old. And you know how he'd win his great victories? He'd actually get it in the form of a vision before the battle ever started. And he knew exactly what to do. Wounded numerous times. Almost to death on one fight in India. So don't think that God doesn't have the power. You go back and read that whole example of the prophecy given there regarding Alexander the Great of the Grecian Empire, and that whole thing was prophesied by God. Who had the power to determine it? 40,000 Macedonians defeated an army of a million Persians. That's right. You know, they didn't have artillery, firearms. They had shields and swords and spears and arrows. That's how they fought. So you stop and consider that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 24. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 24. Who's going to ultimately decide all power? Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. So whatever power is in this world today, that's all going to be removed eventually. And all men will come under the government and the kingdom of God, which will be the ultimate power over everything. Men cannot be trusted with power. They misuse it. Notice what Solomon wrote here in Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. That's right. Men get an authority and power and they, they oppress. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. 
And on the side of their oppressors, there is power. You've heard this expression many times. Power leads to corruption. Ultimate power leads to ultimate corruption. It's human nature. Who can be trusted with power? Who can be trusted with the kind of power God has? No man can. That's why God's doing something. Here back in the book of Genesis, we don't know the extent of the wealth and the, uh, the affluence that these people possessed. But Laban was a wealthy, successful man. And when uh, Jacob finally saw that uh, things were not going well there and he left his father-in-law and headed back for home, then Laban caught up with him and he was an upset man. Notice what he said. Genesis 31, verse number 29. It is in my power to do you harm. Yeah, he could have done it. But the God of your, your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful what you speak to Jacob. Neither bad nor good. Neither good nor bad. That's right. God put a damp on him. Why? He was protecting Jacob. So they got an amicable agreement here. Uh, and he finally left. But it shows you that that man had the power and could have abused it. Now, power can be used for good, too. That's why we're told here in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3 and verse number 7. Verse 27, I should say, excuse me. Proverbs 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Don't hold back. You can do good. And when you can do good, you should. Especially as it says here, to whom it is due. And yet, what is the motivating factor behind all business today? Greed. Nothing but greed. Everybody is a greedy grasper, the Bible says. That is, it, that, uh, it, that it strives to, uh, to um, make himself wealthy and successful in this world. That's what generally motivates it. Either that or, or uh, deceit and uh, fraud of one type or another. That's what the whole world is full of. Ezekiel 22, verse number 6. Ezekiel 22 and verse number 6. Look, the princes of Israel... Each one has used his power to shed blood in you. How much fraud have we become aware of in recent years involving finance? Big corporations cooking the books, covering themselves. Fraud and deceit is everywhere. These people have power and what do they use it for? For the ultimate good of other people? or for feathering their ownness. I think we know the story to that very plain. 2 Corinthians 13, verse number 10. Has God granted power to the ministry? Here's what Paul said. Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. That's what it's there for. 
It's for edification. Sometimes it has to be used. Now, will we use it if we need to? You bet we will. But that's why it's there. It's there for edification. So God is the one who grants authority and power, but it's got to be used wisely and according to his will. Now, I said we all have a certain modicum of major power in one way or another. The mother has it in the home over the children. And the uh, husband has it over the wife. And the employer has it over the employee. And the government has it over the people. And law enforcement officer has, officers have it over the citizens. That's just the way, it's, that's the way the whole system was intended to work. But now God has granted us some power that we not, may not be aware of. And what I want to really make it plain today is, if we're not utilizing this power, our whole calling and our understanding is going to be of little value. What power am I talking about? I'm talking about the power to overcome. That's the most important power that we could possibly have. What good is it going to be, Jesus said, if you gain the whole world and then lose your own soul? The power to overcome. But that places a responsibility on every single one of us. Because if we're not using that power and we're not utilizing it and we're not doing our part, it's not going to be manifested in our lives. Remember what Paul said. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I don't see how anyone could possibly ever expect to make it into the kingdom of God unless he's a praying man or woman. And if your life is so full that you think you do not have time to spend plenty of time on your knees in prayer, you're headed for disaster. It's only going to be a matter of time because you will not be able to control your human nature. And it will end up dominating you. That's just the way it is. There's only one way you can overcome, and that is you've got to be in contact with God on a daily basis. Now here in the book of Zechariah, let us notice what we read here. Here was the Rebbebel of the royal house, of the royal seed. He was a prince. And he was appointed governor over the land of Judea. And he went back in his main aim and goal was to build that temple. And what did God tell him? Zechariah 4, verse 6, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's how it's done. Now, most people could not look at you. Certainly people in the world could not, and probably most people in the church could not look at you and, and say, and, and tell you when you're really being led by the Holy Spirit. But I tell you, we ought to know ourselves. And we ought to be able to recognize when God's leading us by the Spirit, instead of the carnal nature that has such a tendency to dominate. You know, you read here about one that God had appointed as a precursor to Christ. One of the most important, if not the most important prophet that ever lived, John the Baptist. Jesus said, I tell you this, he said, of all the prophets that ever lived, there was none greater than John the Baptist. He never performed a miracle, but his ministry was absolutely instrumental in setting the stage and bringing the nation to Christ. 
He had such a powerful message and there was just something about his whole personality that just moved those people. And so as you read here in Luke 1, verse number 13, You will bear a son, he told Elizabeth, and you shall call his name John. Verse 17, he will go also go before him, that is, he'll go before Christ, him in the capital letters Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Who gave him that? Preordained for that responsibility. And he didn't fail. So that's where the power comes from. That's the all-important thing. Now, are we all going to go out and do the kind of things John the Baptist did? Of course not. It's not our responsibility. That's not in God's plan now for us. What is in God's plan for us right now is to overcome the pull of our human nature with the power of God's Spirit. And if we don't get a handle on it, it'll destroy us. It's that simple. We either do or we don't. It is no game. You're being called to a knowledge of the truth is a matter of life and death for all eternity. Micah 3, verse number 8. Micah 3, verse number 8. Here's what Micah told him. I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. You heads of the house of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed. That's right, he had a commission and a witness, a very powerful witness. Who gave him that power? God did. Now we're talking about, in this particular case here, certain commissions and certain, certain responsibilities that God has granted, but I want to take a look here in a few minutes at that uh, what our responsibility is. Luke 24, verse number 49. Here's what Jesus said. He told his disciples this. I mean, he told his apostles this, and of course this applies to all of us. Not in the same way they did. They were given the authority to perform miracles, great miracles, and, and to cast out demons of that thing, and we're highly limited today by comparison to what they were given. But he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Luke 24, 49. And John 1, this is what Jesus said. John 1, in verse number 12. As many as received them, to them he gave them the power, right as this author, this New King James Version has, power is a better word here. He gave them power to become children of God. That's what power we have now. Not visible on the outside. We don't have a shining halo over our heads, but it should be on the inside. And that's where the changes should be taking place. So we read of the apostles here in Acts 1, verse number 8. You shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They didn't have it before then. We don't find any of the apostles actually standing up and delivering any powerful sermons prior to this time. That's not to say that they didn't go out because they were sent out in pairs. 
But the very first powerful message that, that uh, Peter gave was when? On the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were converted as a result of that sermon. You know, we like to think of the great preachers of this world today. How many people are converted by them in one sermon? Of course, keep in mind, it was a different um, situation altogether because those people already understood all the fundamental basic truths. They just simply had to accept Christ and to realize no longer the necessity to be offering sacrifices. Today, it's a different ball game altogether because you have this utter chaos and confusion in religion and most people don't know whether they're coming or going. So as I pointed out, what kind of power has God given us? He's not given us the spirit of fear. The power and of love and of a sound mind. Power of what? Power to overcome. Anyone going to do it without God's help? Absolutely not. Notice Ephesians, the third chapter. Ephesians 3 and verse number 20. You see, he's telling them here that uh, he was hopeful that Christ will dwell in their hearts. Verse 17, through faith and that being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height. They have a broad perspective of what God is all about. I've seen people over the years, I'll tell you this very frankly, who've never been able to advance beyond the physical state and they can never see anything beyond just the physical do's and don'ts. They have no spiritual comprehension of how the spiritual things of God should apply. They judge everything on the basis of the physical. They're not, they are not developing, as we read here, in the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ, which, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now, here's a text I want to get to. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask, according, ask or think, according to the power that works in us. It's according to the power that's in us. What are we doing with that? Stagnant? Stirring it up? Just lazily going along and thinking church attendance is sufficient. We don't have to spend time on our knees. Well, I can tell you. If any of us fail, and we stand someday before the judgment seat of Almighty God, don't ever say you were not told. You were told. And you better take it seriously. Because there's no human being that can overcome without the power of God's Holy Spirit. You cannot overcome the pulls of the flesh without it. It's an impossibility. Romans 16.25 and I like the King James much better here in this particular text here. And I'll read it the way the King James has it here. Now to him who is of power, to him who is of power, establish you according to my gospel. We have a guideline to go by. We're not left in the dark. We know the difference between right and wrong. We know what's expected of us. And I can tell you how you find those things out by getting your nose in the Bible and studying. 
You don't have time to study, I can tell you. You don't have time for God. To him who is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. It wasn't until the time of Christ came that it was opened and it became open as to what the whole plan of salvation was about. It was never revealed to the Jews or the Israelites. They never knew. They just were required to obey the physical law for their physical benefit as a nation. It had uh, great amenities if they obeyed it and followed it. What happened if they didn't? But that was open when Christ came. That mystery was revealed. That whole plan of salvation was revealed. Do we have power to be established in that? Where do we get that power? What gave you the understanding that you have today? You just conjured it up in your own mind? You did not if you think you did. Philippians 3, verse number 10. Here's what Paul said. He did not want to be found, as we read here in verse 9, of his own, with his own righteousness. Now, I can tell you, people who are what I call workers of the physical, and that's what their whole concentration is in, based on the little physical do's and don'ts, they go about establishing their own righteousness. So we read here in verse in Philippians 3, verse 9, not having my own righteousness, which is, which is from the law. And of course, in this particular case here, he's talking about the physical obedience of the whole system that they had that supposedly thought, they thought gave them righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. When Christ was resurrected, what did I read there a while ago? All power on heaven and earth has been given to me. Did he have all power in heaven and earth when he was here as a physical human being on this earth? The answer is no. He didn't have all power in heaven. He had to live a perfect life and die in our stead and then God granted him on that resurrection. He was resurrected as the son of God with power as we read in the book of Romans. That's what is accessible to us. Now let's notice an interesting statement here. Just think of this now in terms of the responsibility that God has placed on every single one of us with respect to coming to a knowledge of the truth. Luke 19, verse 17. You see, here's the example of the men who were giving these responsibilities. And uh, they, they uh, produced... The first came, 19, Luke 19, verse 17, 16. The first came saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. Your pound has gained ten pounds. Notice what he said. He said, well done, good servant. Well done. Because you have been faithful in a very little that's right. That's all we've been given at this present time is very little. How are we treating it? Taking it for granted? Just slovenly going along, presuming we're going to make it just on the basis because, quote, we know the truth? 
because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over ten cities. That's right. He was given a lot more authority because why? He had proved himself in the little things. That's all that's going on now in our lives. We're approving on the little things. What are we doing with the little things? The simple things that God tells us in the Bible. Are we living up to it or are we just justifying it and doing our own thing? Because God allows it now. That's what we better realize. Notice Luke 16 verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. That's all we have now is the least. We're just given the least. If we're not faithful in what we've been given now and we're not living up to it now in what we know and understand. We can't be trusted with something greater later. God's not going to give that power to people who do not have the character. And he who is, in, is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. That's the way it works. Don't ever take this calling as something granted and you're just going to slide through because it is through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. Just remember what Jesus said here in John 10, verse number 34. See, they came. They understood exactly what he was talking about. Because he said up above here in verse number 30 of John 10, I and my Father are one. Oh, did that rile him up. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why? They said he was guilty of blasphemy. So there's no doubt whatsoever what he was talking about here. Jesus answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you. That is, the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but, but, stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered and said to them, Is it not written in your law? I said, Ye are gods. That's what that text is talking about back there in the Psalms. It's not talking about judges. Jesus quoted it, showing very plainly it was referring to God. That's what man's potential is. God is not going to give that power to somebody that is not deserving and worthy of it. So who can be trusted with power? I'll tell you who it is. It's the people that are doing the little things now. And when you stop and consider the long road that we're on, it's a difficult road that requires a lot of determination and effort. It isn't going to be accomplished overnight. It takes a lifetime. But we've got to be faithful that entire time. Then we'll truly be given the kind of power that God has and we can be trusted with it.